Hello everyone and welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. This episode we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 1 episode, Grail. Um, this episode is, in all honesty, just absolutely middle-of-the-road mediocre. Um, there's nothing great about it and there's some pretty bad stuff about it but that it gets made up for by at least a decent enough plot and uh an excellent performance by david warner but for the most part it's not that great at all um there's there's also a wonderful line that ends the episode uh that is one of my favorite quotes from the show so it, it gets a couple pluses to bring it to middle of the road instead of just plain bad unlike unlike TKO which was which was in all honesty a bad episode until the Ivanova stuff um this episode is just middle of the road straight through uh no ifs ands or buts about it the most interesting thing about it is everything to do with Delenn and Lanier and their reaction to Aldous showing up so Aldous is the seeker he seeks the holy grail um, which is, there is a nice little connection there where, um, it's this, it's this idea that the Holy Grail, you, if you think about it in the future, um, and we, ha we, if we have not found the Holy Grail on Earth, some people, if they believe in the Holy Grail, would assume that the Holy Grail is alien in origin. Maybe it was taken, or maybe it came from aliens or something. Uh, and so the seeker is going out trying to find the Holy Grail. Um, and he's played by David Warner and, and, uh, the, who's, who's the voice of, uh, uh, the voice of Rachel Ghul in the Batman the Emmy series. Uh, he played Chancellor Gorkon in Star Trek six. Uh, he's been around, you know, he, he's been everywhere. He's a wonderful character actor and he's got such a, such a amazing voice and he has always such wonderful presence on screen it's always welcome to see him in pretty much anything um but the big thing here is that delin uh delin and linear are reacting to all this like he's this big holy man that is deserving of immense respect in and ceremony and everybody's confused exactly why they should be treating him with such ceremony uh you know sinclair sitting down to have lunch with garibaldi and they show up and they're like How, you know why aren't you dressed we barely have enough time to get to the docking bay in time you know um and then they show up and in both garibaldi and sinclair are just kind of confused um because to to the mimbari specifically to the religious cast of mimbari the idea of having unyielding faith, the you uh, to want to strike, deceive, to find, to explore, to improve yourself is one of the biggest, most important tenets of their mission. Um, unyielding faith that things can and will get better. Uh, you gotta remember the Mimbari believe they are the universe made manifest, that they are a part of the universe that is trying to figure itself out uh that they're just part of a larger whole so the more they find out the more they seek the more they learn the more they they seek to understand and to uh, to improve themselves their lives and the lives of everyone else is all the more important to the greater whole the universe which they are a part of or and so this entire ordeal of them being 
uh, interested with all this and excited and seeing him as a holy man, whereas everybody else just doesn't care because as far as everyone else is concerned, the Holy Grail is this ancient artifact that that may have existed, but if it did, it didn't exist like the tales say it does. It's not magical, um, and therefore um, there, there's nothing to worry about. And there's a reason why there's only one seeker, because no one really cares anymore. But the Mimbari do, because they see it as this great champion, this person who has unyielding faith, a true seeker, as Delenn puts it. And Sinclair even notes that he may be the only true seeker that the humans truly have, and so he can he can respect the Mimbari wanting to show him any sign of respect, uh, even though he doesn't personally agree with it. And uh, and Delenn has that wonderful line where she, where she goes, if you think he's the only true seeker, then perhaps you don't know yourself as much as you think. Gr great moment on uh, really revealing to who Delenn is as a character and who Sinclair is as a character. And everything that this search for the Holy Grail symbolically means, as Aldous later puts it, it's not the finding that matters, it's the search itself. He's finding enlightenment, new new cultures, new ideas, new concepts. He's learning more about himself through this journey than he ever actually cares about finding the Holy Grail. And that's much then that's very much the theme of the episode is finding out your true self. To uh, be who you are uh, and not what other people tell you you are. So Jinxo um, who uh, has been with all the five uh, Babylon stations and believes he's the reason they all got destroyed, you know, because he used to be a construction worker, and he worked on for three stations, and they kept getting blown up every time he, uh, you know, took a day off and left. Uh, so Babylon 4, he stayed on the entire time and then left just as they were done and returned it online. And as he was leaving, Babylon 4, uh, it's, it's worth noting, uh, it, it wrinkled, uh, tw twisted like, like putty, then disappeared. It disappeared somehow, and as we know from previous deals, that it went it disappeared 24 hours after operation. So obviously something happened there, and it's worth noting that because... I don't think this is a spoiler saying that we will address what happened to Babylon 4. I'm not, I don't believe that is a spoiler because, you know, obviously this has been a mystery set up multiple times. Everybody's intrigued to see what the hell was going on with Babylon 4. Well, we're going to address that. Um, but Jinxo uh, has become a thief and he believes he's the reason why the Babylon uh, stations blow up. So he's never left. So now he's kind of just stuck. He's this old construction worker that's out of a job. He's become a thief. He's stuck in, or you know, working for mob bosses and stuff in organized crime in Down Below. And he's just become a nobody. And everybody calls him Jinxo because no one wants him to leave. Because, you know, uh, and they make fun of him for that because he just won't leave. So... Him finding himself through this seeker of the Holy Grail, this Aldous, and him finally admitting, no, my name isn't Jinxo. That wasn't my name. That, that was a name given to me. As Aldous even says, they should have given you the name Lucky. Because to avoid death that many times and to have come to so many close calls, you know, uh, you, were, you should consider yourself lucky. He's like, no one's ever thought of that. They've always just thought of me as the reason for the, the explosions. And he goes, N uh, people rarely ever think of the positive, you know, basically. So Aldous provides him a different way of looking at his reputation. Which is why at the end, when he becomes the Seeker after Aldous is killed, and he says, no, my name is Thomas. 
uh, he's becoming him true, his true self. That's the ultimate theme of this story, is uh, be who you are despite what other people tell you you are. Be true to yourself. Um, and uh, it's, really, it's really nice to see. I mean, the actor who plays Jinxo isn't all that great, but he does the best he can, I think. I, I, I've, seen, I've certainly seen worse actors, and I've certainly seen worse actors in this show. So I can't really blame him. And I think I think it was well done for what it was. I mean, it's this is a mediocre episode. The entire deal with the uh, the entire thing with the narco lean feeder, um, they try and do a fake out for the cold open that leads into the title sequence of that. Oh my God, it might be Kosh because uh, the narco lean feeder is in the Kosh encounter suit. I never once ever bought that ever. I always knew that that was not Kosh, because Kosh has a very unique way of moving. He, he His head seems to weave and flow with his thoughts, and of course the eye, the eye stalk thing constantly moves moves in and out, sort of thinking, and he, he, you know, he answers very enigmatically, and there was no light in the eye stalk. He wasn't moving his head, it was just kind of stuck there. So I'm just like, that's not Kosh. Uh, even when I first watched this for the very first time, having no knowledge of it, because of course this is after many rewatches. I'm doing this, so like I've I've been watching this show for years. So, uh, but even going back to my first thoughts when watching it for the first time, um, I never thought it was Kosh. However, I have talked to people, uh, friends and family who have watched this show, uh, and they were taken by the the fake out and thought that was Kosh and was trying to figure out why Kosh had gone evil or something. And then, of course, they were like, oh, it's good that it's not Kosh. Um, so I guess the fake out works for certain people, but I was really fascinated with Kosh when I first watched this. So uh, when, when Kosh wasn't moving his head or being enigmatic, I knew something was off. Um, I do like that Narcoling Feeder is sort of like this... Uh, sort of bedtime story Centauri tell that because of the colonies, the, you know, they, they, they nearly lost a couple colonies before they had the issue of quarantine, so they're all kind of scared of it. And then Garibaldi messing with Londo and Fear at the end uh, by saying, You can only know, you know, you can only know if a, a, a uh, narcoline feeder is near you if it's if it's really, really quiet because they're scared of noise and in. He just freaks them out. It's great. He plays with them. I, I love the reaction to it. It's really funny. However, on that note, there are two scenes where funny music plays, uh, sort of sitcom-y of wah-wah-wah-wah music uh, during the uh, argument that Londo and Fear have in front of Aldous, and then when Londo and Fear are freaked out by Garibaldi near the end. Um... That feels very unlike Babylon 5. Uh, Babylon 5 will no longer have funny music pretty much after this point. I think uh, pretty much after season 1, none of that kind of music will show back up again, thankfully. It doesn't really fit the tone, because even when Babylon 5 is being funny, uh, a sort of a sitcom-esque music just doesn't fit what Babylon 5 is. Babylon 5 is it's inherently a dark show about like really realistic things and, and even bombastic things but taken very very seriously but at the end of the day everybody is still a normal person still human they deal with certain things through humor uh, they lighten up the mood uh 
but you don't need to play the the you know the the wah wah wah, wah music the the tell the audience that it's funny because we can tell from the the dialogue and the actors that this is them dealing with a stressful situation by deflecting with humor um so like uh you know th there's a couple examples i can think of from future episodes um londo with the bug uh for those of you who uh have seen the show uh th th that's a great example um you know there, there's some there's some wonderful funny moments in this that doesn't need that kind of music to tell you it's funny um so i'm glad that that music kind of goes away uh after this point um the final note i have before i get into spoilers is uh the ending line is uh, uh or at least one of the ending lines is from Ivanova when Jinxa leaves and they're all talking about that curse and she goes no boom today boom tomorrow there's always a boom tomorrow and Sinclair and you're able to give her a look and she's like well, well someone better have a damn perspective around here um it's so in line with Ivanova's personality she's so pessimistic but it's it's a wonderful line and I repeat it constantly and it's just one of my favorite lines in the entire series and I think it's the best bit of this episode is that line no boom today boom tomorrow there's always a boom tomorrow just someday boom uh, but anyway, I shall get into spoilers real quick. I only have two big notes. Uh, the one is when Dylan and Lanier are talking to Aldous, they mention that there are only two castes of Mambari, the religious and the warrior, and that the religious and the warrior have tensions uh, and do not always agree. Now, here's the thing. There is a third, the worker caste. However, this is feeding into the theme that uh, the worker caste is often forgotten, ultimately. And uh, and there could be an argument to be said in uh, the fact that the, there was no there was no worker cast yet. However, there is uh, because uh, the worker cast in the the three bits of member the three cast of Membari society kind of get invented later because in the gathering there's also only a mention of two work uh, to two casts religious and warrior. However, there are notes to dispute this specifically on uh, on uh, the Lurker's Guide, uh, which is the the uh, the website compendium of all the old chats with JMS during the filming of the show, uh, during its release. There are mentions multiple times by him of the Worker cast, and we know as far back as a few episodes ago, we saw a couple Worker casts because there was specific outfits that you could see a Worker cast that there's specific outfits that define religious worker and a warrior cast. And we saw a couple of worker cast Membari in some previous episodes. Of course, they had no lines, but they were there. So there's the debate whether JMS invented the worker cast later and made a mistake uh, and didn't and didn't check the script, uh, or if it was always there and it was intentional, as the worker cast is supposed to have been forgotten in everything. That's up in the air. JMS has never given an official answer, but considering he was answering things and referring to the worker cast as, uh, very early on, and there were specific costumes made for worker cast Membari, I'm going to just say that it was a nice bit of foreshadowing to show that the worker cast is often forgotten in the entire uh, situation, and as that will become a major point later on, especially when we get to the Membari Civil War in Season 4, uh, that's why Delenn... Uh, you know, uh, 
specifically mentions all of the work accounts that will be put on the new great council you know the you may have forgotten it forgotten them in our in our uh little dispute our little war with each other you know so i i call it a bit of foreshadowing though it could have easily been a mistake uh the other the other bit of spoilers i have before i call it a day here is when Sinclair goes to apologize to Kosh about the Narcolene feeder having Kosh's, uh, a replica of Kosh's encounter suit. And he asks why, and he's, he assumes it has to do with the, the, the gang leader wanting the uh, insight fear that he had the Vorlons on his side because no one quite knows what Vorlons, uh, Vorlons look like, and, and the, fact that, the fact that no one has actually ever seen a Vorlon uh, and it has actually told the tale, if they have seen one, uh, makes people nervous and uneasy around Vorlons. And Kosh goes, good. Of course, that is wonderful foreshadowing with the way uh, Vorlon mentality works. They want you to be scared of them because they want you to be obedient. And what is one of the greatest ways for someone to be obedient is if they're scared of you. Uh, then, then there's almost a guarantee that they will listen to you because they don't want to incur your wrath, and it's great. It's wonderful foreshadowing of everything that's going on uh, outside of the character's purview because Kosh, of course, knows everything that's going on, but Sinclair and everyone else doesn't know quite yet. Uh, so next episode, we're going to be uh, doing Eyes, which, uh, while not written by JMS, actually has a whole lot of continuity, actually. Uh, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the majority of the ongoing plot lines, uh, but it deal, uh, addresses certain things that Sinclair has done throughout this season, connects uh, with one of our major recurring villains, uh, and so forth. Uh, so, like, we're going to see a lot of nice things. Also, a nice cameo from Jeffrey Combs. So, uh, it's always nice to see wonder the wonderful Jeffrey Combs. Of course, if you don't know who that is, uh, you know he uh, he's been in several things. He's sort of a cult cult favorite actor, uh, character actor. I of course know him best as Wayun uh, and Brunt in DS9, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, as well as the voice of Vic Sage slash The Question in Justice League Unlimited. So uh, it's always wonderful to see him. Uh, and he plays a psychop in this, in Eyes. So it's, it, Eyes is a pretty decent episode. Uh, not the greatest, but still pretty decent. So I'll see you next week. Bye.